Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. For a singer to play a new song on piano, you have to learn the new notes on the piano. You have to learn the new chord progressions. For a magician to do a new trick, you have to invent a new piano and build the piano. So you're not just learning a new, a new song, you're creating a brand new instrument. And how long did it take the guy to build the piano the first time? You know, a lifetime to build the piano. And that's essentially what happens with magic is that, you know, like, yes, you're, you know, you're building things and apparatuses and, and things that have never existed before if you're doing something completely original. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard. With me, Barry Katz, hope you had a great 4th of July weekend. I know I did wonderful times, fireworks, family, fun. If you need to reach me, you can do so at Barry Katz at Twitter or Instagram, or you can reach me at Facebook or the website or anywhere you can find me and leave me a message and I'll be glad to get back to you as soon as possible. And if you could press subscribe, that would be a dream as well. For those of you who've been here before, thanks for coming back. And for those of you who are new, welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm sure you're going to have a great time today. We have a great show with an incredible magician illusionist, Adam Trent. So without further ado, let me introduce him and we'll get started. Adam Trent has starred on Broadway three separate times and is one of the few magicians in the world with his own TV series. Adam inaugurated the first two seasons of the record-breaking Broadway show, The Illusionists, which became the best-selling magic show in Broadway history, grossing over $2 million in one week. Followed by a smash hit US and world tour, he became the face for most of the national local press, including an NBC primetime special. He has a vast resume of TV appearances, including The Today Show, Good Morning America, The Ellen Show, The Thanksgiving Day Parade, Watch What Happened Live with Andy Cohen, Young Hollywood, Showtime's Inside the NFL, and numerous special guest appearances on America's Got Talent, but not as a contestant, as a special guest. He created, executive produced, and starred in his own 10-episode TV series on Netflix called The Road Trick, which brings viewers on a journey to 12 countries across Europe and Africa for an adventure that proves magic can be the universal connector that transcends language barriers and cultural differences. Equipped with only a backpack, Adam used magic as the currency to break the ice with locals, turn strangers into friends, and trade amazement and laughter in for unique once-in-a-lifetime experiences that money just can't buy. It currently streams internationally on Netflix and on Red Bull TV. 
aside from television, he keeps a constant schedule over 200 live tour dates each year at major theaters and casinos across the world. And as a producer and consultant, he has created illusions, TV formats, and live touring shows for some of the biggest brands in the world, including Disney. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my guest today, a tremendous performer, an extraordinary entrepreneur, and a great friend, Adam Trent. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Oh, it's long time coming. <laughs> it's exciting being next to somebody who started from nothing and there's a guy who's starring executive producing creating his own show that's on netflix right now i mean that's an amazing accomplishment not just for any artist but for a magician i mean i can count on half a hand the series that magicians have had on television so it's right. an incredible accomplishment thank you thank you i'm not sure uh how it all ended up there to be honest i mean you 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 you, you were you were there in that journey so uh, you know it kind of just happened didn't it it didn't just happen and i shall tell our <laughs> audience something that you did that i think is so incredible when I share it with the audience and then you'll expound on it because it'll show them what's possible with under $500. <laughs> but I think it's probably better if you tell the audience what's possible to do for under $500 that can garner you a television show where the license fee was millions of dollars, where you got paid a significant amount of money that probably helped with the down payment for this <laughs> beautiful, beautiful place, and how you orchestrated that to the point where you had something that you felt was really, really special. So take the audience through 24 hours before the idea for it and how you executed it and for $500 what you did to launch and sell and give a network the tools to have a television series. So um, I feel like it was in talking to you actually where I was, you know, kind of talking about what I wanted to do. And, you know, one of those things, obviously, is, well, I want to have my own TV series. And I was like, how, where do we even begin with that? Do we just go in and we, do we just pitch it to a place? And um, I mean, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you were probably like, look, look, you know, put something on tape. No one wants to read a paper pitch. No one wants to look at a piece of paper. And I was like, all right, well, how do I put something on tape? You know, and, and I was always kind of a guy that would just go out and film stuff, um, even with like selling my live show to a cruise ship back in the day. I used to rent out a high school auditorium for 20 bucks an hour and then hire the local student filmers in, in, in uh, it was like the film department in, at the high school and I'd borrow their cameras and I'd film my own magic show and, and that was how I sold it to a cruise ship. So I was used to kind of running and gunning these things on my own. And um, I came up with a concept for a travel magic show where basically it would be Anthony Bourdain kind of mixed with David Blaine where I'd be traveling around and it would be as much about meeting the people as it would be uh, doing magic. Um, and uh, I just, for, somehow I knew, it was probably you telling me that it should be a few minutes long. I don't even know how I knew it should be a few minutes long or what it should even look like. But I basically went out with a little DSLR uh, that I got from Costco. Uh, and Can you tell our audience what a DSLR is? Oh, sorry. Uh, uh, a little, uh, it's basically, it's, it's like a point and shoot camera. It, it's a very consumer level camera. But it was like a, you know, $600 camera that, that like I had for a few years that I kind of had kept through college or whatnot. 
because uh, I, I told myself I was going to get good at photography and I never get, I never did. Um, but I had this camera and I, I put it on auto mode and I gave it to my roommate at the time who was also a magician. And I gathered up a bunch of tricks and I just went out and started shooting this thing. And I started kind of just going to like the local sandwich shop in Studio City at the time and going to, uh, you know, uh, a taco truck in, in Sherman Oaks and, and kind of just doing magic for these people. And, and, and the, the theme of the show at that time was that I was going to uh, get every meal and every, the, 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 basically I was going to use magic as currency in every single meal, every ride, every place I slept everything was going to be bartered for by doing magic from going from your home in California to New York. That's City. right. Yeah, that's right. It was, it was a U.S. based going from L.A. to New York in time for the Broadway show that was happening that year that I'd booked on. So the theme was normally I do these these theater shows. But right now I'm going to go back to my roots and I'm going to travel from L.A. to New York using nothing but a backpack full of magic tricks and, and, and do the whole journey. That was the concept of the show that I thought was really interesting. So I went out and I filmed this thing and I, and I faked the whole thing. I, I, sl- I, I laid down on a park bench in Studio City for about 30 seconds while we got a shot of me sleeping on a park bench. So in other words, you picked parts of within a hundred mile radius of LA that looked like certain areas of the country. Yes. And then when it came time to edit it, you'd put Missouri or... <laughs> yes. Oklahoma or yes. Florida or something like that. Yeah, I went in the back alley of, of behind my condo at the time and, 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 and shot something outside by the trash cans and that I think it was like New Mexico or whatever it was, you know, and, and but, but, you know, it cut together where there was nothing distinct on any of the shots and, and so it looked like I traveled the whole country doing this thing and it had shots of me doing magic for people uh, in, the, in the Ralph's parking lot, uh, you know, I, and then... Uh, I had some actor buddies come over and we just kind of, you know, filmed a guy beating me up for a minute, uh, uh, showing what can happen when it goes wrong. You know, I, uh, I, I went into a CVS bathroom and like uh, and, and, and showed myself like basically showering in the sink of the CVS bathroom. Um, I, uh, I, I took a half eaten sandwich that I had and I set it gently into a trash can at a gas station. I got a shot of me walking up and reaching the trash can and pulling a sandwich out and eating it. <laughs> so I had all these little things and we faced, I basically faked this whole thing that I traveled the country um, and cut together a three minute sizzle, which at the time was called Destination Magic was the, was the title that I gave it. And I showed it to you just not even knowing what it was. And then you were like, this is, this is great. We should go, we should go uh, chat with some people about this. Um, so sent it out to some production companies um, couple that I had known from, from doing the past things. I'd started working with you and I did a few TV things that were just hired, hired, hired bits. I did something on the travel channel, scambushed and, uh, something for Disney channel. And there was like one more thing that I'd done that we sent it to those production companies and you sent it to uh, a guy that used to work with you. Uh, he used to be my intern and my assistant, <laughs> right. Lee Jacobs, <laughs> right? Lee Jacobs who is now one of the development people at a company called North South Productions in New York. Yep. And their claim to fame at the time was... Impractical Jokers and I think Say Yes to the Dress? Yeah. One of those things. And, and Lee's actually at a, at a different company now, but, but he was at North South at the time. And Lee loved it. Uh, and we basically, within a couple months, or we, I don't think we edited, re-edited, I, th- I don't think they re-edited anything on the sizzle. Maybe they cut one clip out here or there. But for the most part, it was basically the sizzle that I made. Like we, I kind of assumed that once we got a professional company on board, w- that they would spend money and we'd go re-film this thing and do it properly. That was the funniest thing ever when we got the assets from north south productions we're expecting okay they say hey Liz, we're going to take it and we do our own thing with things so just understand that, that sometimes that's going to happen and we get the assets back before we're going to pitch and it's the exact same sizzle reel except for the last three seconds that say north south productions <laughs> i think they cut out the adam trent part and put north south at the end uh which i was pissed about and but, how uh, much did that cost well so i shot the whole thing for like a, a 500 bucks or something i mean basically it was i gave my friend a couple hundred bucks i think to to come film it and then i i probably bought a few magic tricks here and there that you know i think i hired a buddy to make a few magic tricks for me but you know it was, it was basically a couple friends that kind of i just called in some favors and i shot i think i shot the whole thing in in a day and a half I think it was on, on like a Thursday that I met with you and you're like, put something on tape. And I think I went out on, on Friday. I sat there and planned and, and made a few magic tricks, dusted off my camera and charged the batteries. And on Saturday went out and 
you know, I think I drove to Simi Valley or something to get like some really shots that didn't look like LA. And, 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 uh, and then on Sunday, maybe I shot like a half day and I started editing it on Monday. And I think by that next Friday I had the thing done. Uh, it was like the whole thing was like a week long process. So then with North South, we went out and we, um, they just set up meetings and I remember talking to you before I went into the first meeting. I don't know if you remember this, but this is, I always tell this story. We're about to go into the first meeting and I'm, I'm feeling like, I don't know what I'm feeling at the time. It's my first pitch meeting ever. And, uh, you were like, what do you think the chances of this thing selling are? And I was like, I don't know, one in a hundred. And you were like, I love how optimistic you are. <laughs> and I was like, that's optimistic. Like, what is it really? You're, uh, one in 10,000 or whatever, you know, one in a thousand, one in 10,000. And I was like, okay. So we went in and we started pitching and then we actually pretty quickly started getting good feedback. I, there was a couple things I think started like showing interest in making a pilot offer or whatnot. And it was Red Bull TV at the time that we pitched to that. I think it was the next day or the, or the day after within very short amount of time, we got a phone call. They wanted to go straight to 10 episodes. Yeah, and so that sort of trumped everything, even though there were other places that were bigger and more established who were offering just the pilot, they offered straight to series, and not only straight to series, but they said, you know what, let's go bigger, let's don't do the United States, let's do, let's do the Europe. world, let's do Europe. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So it ended up not being LA to New York, it ended up being me just arriving in Europe and going from there. Um, so I went to 10 or 11 cities across Europe. Um, and, uh, the show changed quite a bit, you know, it ended up not being, I mean, I was kind of like the dog that caught the bus on this thing a bit, you know, because I, I pitched this thing and then when it came time to actually film it, you know, once we started talking about it, it was like, Oh boy, like, I don't know if sleeping on the street in Europe is the wisest thing right now, you know, like, uh, <laughs> maybe let's take that element out of it. And also it let it, it, it let it be about not just surviving each day because, you know, one, because Red, well, the thing that Red Bull was, the, was they're like, look, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this for real. We're not going to make produced hokey TV here. Like, you're really going to go do this. And I was like, yes, yeah, so we're going to make, go make a real series that is really, you know, the real deal and not, not, not fake. And so when we got into that, it was, it was like, well, okay, if we're really going to do this for real, to be honest, like... I would find one taco truck that gives me free tacos and I'd stay there for the next 10 weeks, you know? Uh, so if we want this thing to be real, maybe we should take care of the food and a place to sleep so that I can f spend my energy using magic to create exceptional experiences rather than just surviving each day because no one want, wants to watch someone just survive for 10 weeks straight, just barely getting the next meal and barely finding a place to sleep. But, you know, they want to see me getting on yacht parties and, and, you know, going to exceptional firework shows and getting to VIP sections of cool places and so the series morphed quite a bit but it was certainly a learning experience and um uh one of the craziest experiences in my life as far as like a career thing just but that was how it all started was just a few hundred bucks and a buddy going around town i don't know if i've ever shared this or not you know of course but my uncle was the number one expert on houdini in the world his name was Sidney radner he passed away about five years ago or so he owned probably 80% of all of Houdini's illusions, including the water torture, the milk can. He owned probably 90% of all the handcuffs. I actually went to an auction and I bought Houdini's will and testament. I bought an original pair of his handcuffs that he made. And so whenever I would go to Holyoke, Massachusetts to my uncle's place. He'd always be doing some kind of tricks. And the first card trick he showed me 40 years ago was the card trick that Matt Franco did with big cards and people on the winning episode of America's Got Talent. The put the cards down anywhere you want and one side turns out red and one side turns out black. Mm-hmm. So I saw that trick. I saw my uncle do that trick for me. He had me put the cards down anywhere I wanted. I didn't even remember it being 26 and 26 or whatever it was. And one side came out red, one side came out black, and I was blown away by it right. the first time I saw it. Yeah. And to see somebody win America's Got Talent with the same trick that my uncle did for me 45 years ago 
sort of blows me away. So one of the things that I want you to talk about with the audience that is fascinating to me, and I want to know how magicians get around it. In comedy, if you do a routine that is the exact routine of another comedian and you change a word or you change a nuance or a sentence, you have died in the comedy community <laughs> if the world finds out about it. Right. You are in the deepest shit in the world. There are people that have been accused of stealing 90 seconds of material and they had seven hours of material and somebody said, hey, that's my bit and it affected their career. Right. Meanwhile, David Copperfield writes a check for whatever it is, $1,500 for the floating rose trick to the guy who <laughs> did the floating rose trick and copyrighted or whatever. And he's doing it 660 times a year in Vegas. Yet there's magicians all over the world doing the floating rose trick. Right. Even throughout your career, one of the things that we've gone toe-to-toe -to -toe with that I get so back and forth with you on and that we talked about early on in your life when you came into my office and a great comedian that I love, James Stevens III, had yeah. told me about you. <laughs> he saw you on a cruise ship and you came in and I essentially have no filter sometimes. Right. I essentially said to you, listen, cruise ships are not your future. If you think they're your future, then we should all quit the business right now. <laughs> right. You are special. You have something special about you. But what I said to you, and I'm paraphrasing, is that you were like a paradox. You had 50% of your tricks were things that I'd never seen before and I searched for, I couldn't find. They were amazing pieces. And the other 50% were things that I had seen before in magic, but not stiffs doing them, like several big people sharing the same kind of trick. Right. Could you explain to our audience how magicians feel it's okay to use things that all other magicians use and they don't aspire to do everything completely their own and copyright sure. them? Sure. So, and uh, I'm by no means the, the expert on, on this, you know, but I'll, I'll give you my take on it. You know, there's someone, I forget who it is. It might, it might have been Penn and Teller where they said, I, I, I guess the biggest thing is that the, the process between magic and comedy is different in the sense that, and like I said, I think it's Penn and Teller, but, but, but they, they basically described that, that you know, for a singer to sing a new song, they have to, or, or, or to play a new song on the piano, you have to learn the new notes on the piano. You have to learn the new chord progressions. For a magician to do a new trick, you have to invent a new piano and build the piano. So you're not just learning a new, a new song, you're creating a brand new instrument. And how long did it take the guy to build the piano the first time? You know, a lifetime to build the piano. And that's essentially what happens with magic is that, you know, like, yes, you're, you, you know, you're building things and apparatuses and, and things that have never existed before if you're doing something completely original. Um, you know, so I think that, that that's, that's one difference between, you know, a, a comedian can be going to a comedy club and, and hypothetically think of a joke in the car ride on the way down and try it out 10 minutes later, right? A magician can't really think of a magic trick and do it five minutes later. In some cases, of course, you could, but 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 we're talking about something that that, that you know re would require some sort of a a build. Even even small card tricks, you know, can can require some sort of a a, a uh, you know invention of of some sort of gimmick. So I guess that's that, that's one difference is is that there there there's physical items involved, and then these physical items are like you know it's it's to invent a new thing is it's like inventing a new engine. It's 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 it's, it's a process. Also on top of that, there's a marketplace of magic, you know, uh, magic is for sale, you know, like, like there's websites where people sell magic tricks and it's so vast and there's so much stuff out there for sale that, 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 you know, um, 
you know, uh, people can go on and they can buy magic tricks and, and, and there's items that professionals use that, you know, it's like you just said, like, you know, the floating rose is for sale, you know, and, and David Copperfield does the floating rose, you know, so, so, so even top magicians do things that are for sale. I mean, he's arguably, I know everybody has an opinion of who the greatest musical artist is, who the greatest comedian is, mm-hmm. but I even if they don't think he's the best, mm-hmm. even the people that hate him would say he's one of the four best. Oh, God, yeah. It, They'd say he's on the Mount Rushmore of magic. I think it, it's rare to find people that, that, that don't say he's the, the guy. Yeah, so even if there's somebody who doesn't like him, they're still going to say he's number two. Totally, yeah. And he's buying the floating rose for $1,500. Now, granted, I, I do think that that is the only effect that, that he does in his show. But most of his show is completely original. I think that, I think that one effect is the anomaly where that, for, for whatever reason, that, that one effect has withstood the test of time with, it, with his show where he, uh, even on your podcast, you mentioned, you know, people just love it. They, you know, and, and I talk about him all the time to anybody who will listen because... He said in a documentary that I produced on Houdini, I'm paraphrasing, we all stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. And Houdini broke down the walls for people like me to do what I do. If you were sitting here, it still blows me away that the gold standard, the guy who 99.999% of his stuff, like you said, is a piano that's been built from scratch, he shares with me that the one trick that resonates so much with women and men in the crowd is this little simple thing. This is a guy who's making automobiles appear and disappear. and, And this one little thing that somebody made, somebody built that piano. Kevin James was the guy who invented it. Kevin yeah. James, the magician, yeah. not the I mean, Kevin the magician. But and, and yeah, I think that is one of those rare effects that is so special that, you know, I mean, if if uh, I'd be hard pressed to, to to name an effect in magic that that has the same impact for what it is. Now, Kevin James. Now, mm-hmm. when he put this up for sale, is it possible that Copperfield said, "Listen, how much?" will that cost for you never to sell that to anyone again and never use it again? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly, you know, like magicians do buy things exclusively uh, from, from, from creators where they say, look, I want the only, I want to be the only guy that does this. And that is certainly a thing. I, I don't know the inner workings of what that, of what that specific so thing was. So let's say you, somebody builds something for you and you mm-hmm. want to be the only guy that does it. Mm-hmm. Just for sake of argument, it doesn't. But if the illusion cost one dollar and he can sell it to anybody, what will it cost you to get it to where it's only you and it doesn't exist anywhere else? uh, Well, if it was one dollar, it would be a lot because you could sell a lot of there's a lot of people who are willing to pay a dollar for a trick. But if you're if you're buying something for 20 grand. There's maybe only five guys in the world that will want to spend twenty grand on it. So maybe the guy would think he only makes sixty grand on it. And you know, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know the answer to this. It's different on everything. Like there's some tricks where, they like you know, they know they could go to marketplace with it for fifty bucks and they could sell a couple thousand of them. Versus. So you've never asked anybody who is a builder to build you something exclusively. I have, but it's been more expensive things where there's not you know it's been things that cost ten thousand dollars. Uh, as opposed to a, you know, something where every magician in their living room could afford this thing. It's something that, you know, only the guys working on certain stages or certain venues would be interested in this prop. And maybe we're talking about a couple dozen people at that point. So, Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a -a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success 
to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Hey, everybody. And I wanted to thank some of the sponsors on the podcast, starting with AquaTrue. If you haven't bought this countertop water purification system, you have to do so. It's incredible. It turns tap water into your favorite bottled water instantly. It saves you thousands and thousands of dollars. It gets rid of all those plastic bottles that you have in your trash. Thousands and thousands of listeners have bought these. Everybody loves it. Not one complaint. It's incredible. I haven't bought a bottle of water in years since I got this, and you won't either. And if you go right now to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, you'll immediately get a $100 discount. A $100 discount and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. I guarantee it. Lastly, the air doctor. I don't know what the air inside your house is like, but the air inside my house, it feels heavy at times before I got this product. And now it got rid of all the bad air in my house, the dust, the pet hair, the pollen. It just gets rid of all the contaminants circulating through your home. And for me, when I got this product, it was amazing the difference that I found in the air in my house. And it's normally $600 and you can check Amazon right now and you'll see. But for all of you listening today, I can offer you $300 off. $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com and type in the promo code Barry. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code Barry, and save $300 and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. What's the most money you've ever spent? from cradle to grave for an illusion for your show? Um, probably, I guess I do this thing with video screens where there's a wall of video screens. It feels like it's 25 feet long and 10 feet high. Right. And basically, I mean, it, it, the video screens obviously is, is a hard cost that it would cost if you were to buy led walls by themselves. So if I figure that in, that's the most expensive thing. And there's probably easily 20 grand on the magic alone before you get into the LED walls. How much do the LED walls 50, cost? 60 grand. Yeah. That would be if you bought all the walls, 90,000. Close to hundred. Yeah. Yeah. For that, for, for, for that thing. And that's, you know, um, I guess part of the reason I was <laughs> so willing to do that is that I figured, Hey, the, you know, these are standard video walls. I could always turn around and sell the video walls if, 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 uh, if, 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 if the, if the magic's bad. And also you could rent the video walls for exactly. each place although the rental for those could be five or ten thousand for a show totally yeah absolutely and what's tough about renting those is they come with a tech you gotta have a tech guy there you gotta store them you gotta it's it becomes a you, you know the thing about i guess that that became common with, with doing magic and, and and i've scaled things back quite a bit now where i you know I, I travel now to do a show with two suitcases uh, you know, I don't bring any of this stuff to, to shows anymore, but, but, you know, part of what being a magician was is you get good at producing stuff because you lug all this stuff around and you, you're, you're putting on shows in the same theaters with, 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 with theaters that are doing Beauty and the Beast the week after you leave and they're doing Hamilton the week before you leave, the week before you come and then you show up and, and it's like, you know, you're competing with a cast of 30 people and, and even though sure, you know, you might be getting paid less than they're paying for Hamilton, of course, you know, there's an expectation from the, the ticket buyer where they show up and they, they saw Hamilton there the week earlier. They're seeing Beauty and the Beast the week after and now you're the random magic show in there and there's some level of expectation of you know like we don't want to see a hokey little thing so 
I guess early on when I started traveling, it was all about trying to find a way to travel with a show that looked big. I remember most of the stress that you went through in these shows. I'm like, Adam, what are you doing? You're like, hey, Barry, I got this driver here. He's driving the truck and I got to get him from here to here and put him up and I got to fly in. And I'm like, but Adam, you're not even flying direct. You're stopping in two different places on the way. Well, the ticket was $200 cheaper. And I'm like, Adam, you're working in theaters. You're making money now. I know but it could all go away and I want to make sure that I streamline everything. I don't want to go extravagant. I'm trying to make this show big. But Adam, you're renting this truck at a U-Haul. Couldn't you rent the thing for a longer period of time? I, just, I don't know. I'm just, I, and it was always this thing. And so to hear that you're actually now streamline the show into two suitcases that blows me away it's it's you know i've always been extremely cheap with everything extremely cheap um and uh spend ninety thousand dollars for a prop for an illusion and you're telling me you're cheap could have spent 200 on it if i would have gone with the you know high-end animation company that that, that that was proposed to me and if i would have gone with the high-end choreographer who insisted that it be you know like i mean there's a, that, that was cheap compared to what it could have been for that and that was the most expensive thing i ever did but but you know i've always been really cheap in the sense of like if there's a way to get it done cheaper i always wanted to find a way to get it done cheaper and also i've been as you know i've been so driven by i'm so driven by panic that it's all going to go away any second. You know, I, I wake up every morning <laughs> in a cold sweat thinking that thinking that everything's over and that the sky is falling. Uh, and so I'm like, oh boy, like, you know, but uh, that being said, I'm, I'm not as, uh, thankfully I'm not as cheap anymore. And I, I mean, I flew first class to Hawaii, which is so unlike me, but I, uh, <laughs> why did you decide to do that? Because <laughs> I just, I don't know, maybe it's just being a few years older now where just the wear and tear on my body of doing what, what, what you were just talking about, of, of booking the back row middle seat. And, you know, it, I was to the point where if I, I'd fly at 6 a.m. and if they could strap me to the wing to save 50 bucks, I'd do it. Presumably, because I know you, you love to control the variables. <laughs> So presumably you're on your computer late at night on kayak and all these different yeah. sites. And so you see the flight, the cheapest flight in economy, <laughs> that's a direct flight. And you see the business class flight and you see the first class flight, the cheapest one that leaves at the time yeah. you need. What's the difference in cost where you decide, fuck it. Oh boy. Well, so just to Hawaii. <laughs> Okay, because <laughs> I want to know your mentality. It was I, probably fifteen hundred bucks for the first class ticket. I would, if I remember correctly, and probably probably five hundred bucks for the regular thing. So it was a thousand bucks extra. It was an eleven-hour flight. I was flying from New York to Hawaii nonstop. So I figured it was about a hundred bucks an hour extra, which normally I would say, if someone, if I was sitting in first class and someone walked up to you. In first, this is what I, I do these scenarios in my head in order to like to, to figure out what things are worth. If someone walked up to me while I'm sitting in first class and said, "Hey, listen, you know, can you go watch the same movie that you're watching, or play the same video game on your phone, or, or just fall asleep and take a nap?" But if you do it in that seat, 15 feet behind you, I'll pay you $100 an hour to do it. And by the time we land, you'll have $1,000. I would do it every single time. And using that rationale is why I can never book the first class ticket because I'm like, but it's, I'm spending a hundred dollars an hour to, to just sleep or to watch a movie and sure it's more comfortable and, but it's still a hundred dollars an hour. Like, you know, if someone told me they'd pay me a hundred dollars an hour to like to not sit on this nice couch and to sit on a, on a firm chair, I'd do it, you know? So why would I not do it then? So anyway, it's that rationale. But in that case of Hawaii, I was like, you know what? I did a show the day before and I, I had two shows that were for good money and I was like, you know what, I'm going to spoil myself. And it was also my parents were like, you know, treat yourself like, like, why are you doing this? Like, same thing as you like, like, like spend the money, like book the ticket. It's a, it's a write off, you know, like you're going to Hawaii, like show up well rested. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm doing it. Do you regret it? Um, no, because I, I don't look at the money in my account anymore. I, uh, I used to like look at it every single day and now I don't look at it. So the extra thousand bucks I spent is it's a number on a screen now. How did you get to that point where what happened, where you decided I'm not looking anymore? Because what you said is something that I've actually never addressed with any artist on the show. People know that there's drug addictions. Mm. There's alcohol addictions, there's sex addictions. People watch porn once a day, 10 times a day. But there's also 
money addictions where you look at your bank account and you mm-hmm. look over and over again and you can't stop. So, and I know a lot of artists like this, but I've never talked about it before. So just similarly to an alcoholic where they say to themselves, okay, I just woke up on the floor by the toilet. I don't know how I got here. Enough is enough. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm going to a meeting and I'm stopping. What happened to you where you stopped? It was, um, I guess it was just knowing that I'll be okay. Uh, I, 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 I've lost some of the panic. Like, like, like I, I mean, I, I, I have a place, I have a car and, and, and I've been doing it long enough now where I've had good years where I really worked really hard and I've had bad years where I'm like, Oh boy, like how's this year going to work? And in both those years, I, it's always been fine. And so, um, at the point I'm at now, like I'm at a place of, of trying to continue to enjoy it as much as I, to, 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 to still love, 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 love the gigs. And it's hard for me to love the gigs when I'm just beating the crap out of myself, staying in the cheapest place and doing this and that, you know? And, um, I mean, I'll, I'm all, I'll always be a cheap person. I'll, I'll never buy frivolous things. I wish people could see this place. <laughs> this place is really special it's an investment though it's not a it's not a frivolous thing this is a investment you know this is a so in other words when you sell it it, yeah you get your money out of it you know but but like uh, but you know uh but but things that depreciate you know cars and boats and you know stuff not that not that i could go nuts with that anyways i'm not like you know but but um but, but yeah, I, I guess, I guess for me, like, like treating myself better when I'm on the road makes me enjoy the gigs more now. And I, and for the last 10, literally 10 years, it's been over 10 years now that I've been touring pretty much nonstop. I have done the things where I'd, I'd save, save 50 bucks here and there, 30 bucks here and there, you know, I'd, I'd do crazy things. And, and at the end of it all, it's like, well, if I'm going to do all that and if I'm going to kill myself across 20 gigs, save an extra $200 per gig, I might as well just do an extra gig or two, you know, in order to... Like, why not just do one more show and then treat myself first class for the whole thing? So, um, it's not really, I, I guess, I, I guess that was just what changed, you know? And also, like I said, also getting older and just, was there a moment that happened? You know, I, I also, I, I, I think some of it was, uh, I did the tour about a year ago, uh, uh, with magic space and, and, um, and, and with the works and whatnot. And it was such a bigger budget thing than I was used to doing. And, and I just kind of saw how how money comes in and goes out and how, you know, and, and, and the people I was working with, you know, I learned a lot from them about like, look, you can't sweat every little thing. Like, like these things happen. Some of the stuff's the cost of doing business. Like, you know, like, but you can't do this whole thing and show up dead at the gig, you know? Uh, so I, I guess a lot of it was just learning from the people that I was working with of, of like, you know, seeing that, that, you know, like there are some things that are worth sweating and some things that are not. And, the extra fifty dollars for a nicer hotel room is is not worth it. Um, it's not worth sweating. Um, so I don't know if there's a specific moment. You know, I, I think my parents had influence on it of just saying like, "Why are you beating yourself up so much on these gigs?" Like, I think that the fact that the gigs kept getting more and more money for them, it became less consequential. You know, like like when you're doing cheap gigs and you know to upgrade to first class, you're like, "Well, that's there goes there that there's no point in doing the gig anymore if I'm gonna spend an extra few thousand bucks." getting there and back like there's no I might as well stay home it's a break-even gig but as the gigs get more and more and more you're kind of like well okay you know like whatever and so in terms of the show used to be in a truck there used to be load in all this stuff used to have a guy that came with you I don't know if you still have a guy that Mm -hmm. comes with you do you still have a guy that comes with you Uh, I I do bring one person with me still got one tech guy but you had a driver of the truck. I don't know if the driver of the truck was the tech guy or not. But at one point, but but, but, but the big tour I was talking about, we had 13 people on the on the road full time, um, plus people in the office, plus, plus you know. So it was it was a, a a very big production. But hey, everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, 
one-on-one coaching with me and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. So how did you decide that after doing that Magic Space big tour, big production, that now the shows you're going to do, you're going to downsize in two suitcases, and how do you take your audience with you from, it'd be like, let's say, the Rolling Stones, Mick Jagger doing a tour in stadiums, and then he tells his fans, look, I'm just going to take my guitar, mm-hmm. and maybe a little electronic player, and I'm going to sing songs that I like that aren't my own songs, really, <laughs> and will you come with me? You're not going to get the same response. So how do you bring those fans that were with the magic space to the new shows with only two suitcases and a simpler show? Or did you figure out a way to make illusions in those two suitcases that blow people away as much as the magic space show? It was a combination of several things. I guess, number one, uh, you know, it, it was out of necessity. I mean, you know, like... It, it, you know, I, I had to be able to play theaters where I could, I could, you know, do things where I could play Florida one night and Seattle the next night. You know, I could play New York one night and Los Angeles the next. I mean, literally, I could play New York and then Hawaii. <laughs> you know, like that was what I did. I played New York and then went straight to Hawaii and did the show. And, and you could never do that, you know, with, with a big truck. So part of that was necessity and, and, and kind of just what the marketplace was demanding of me. You know, I wasn't able to support um, something that big. It was, you know, um, but uh so it, it was the flexibility of being able to take gigs wherever, um, you know, if there's breaks in the tour, you know, you don't have to send 13 people home, you just fly home and, you know, and then, you know, it's just less overhead. It, 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 so, so it was, it, it made, made sense for, for many reasons on that end. For, from the audience perspective, you know, I don't think that uh, they know what to expect when they come into a show. Like when the audience comes in to see a magic show, look like, 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 like the magic you see on TV right now that's popular on AGT and everything. It's, it's, it's card tricks. It's, it's, it's things on a table with, with a camera, you know, it's, it's, and so people don't know like, Oh, am I seeing, you know, like someone get cut in half or am I seeing an hour of card tricks? I don't know what I'm coming to see as, 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 as an audience. Well, to me, what I would love as an audience member is if the magician said to me, I know you've seen all these huge productions and whatever. I want to prove to you that we can have a show that at the end of this you're going to be talking about for years to come and you see these two suitcases that's what i came with and that's what i'm going to show you is possible i don't need huge trucks i don't need 27 people to blow you away together we're going to go on a journey and yeah, this is what I figured out how to do. That would mean something to me. Totally. I mean, that's essentially what I do. I don't. I don't state it like that up front, you know. But I think that very quickly they realize that as they enter the theater and they see a briefcase sitting on stage, <laughs> and then I, I come walking out and and do an hour or two with just the briefcase. You know, I think people very quickly realize, okay, this is you know. But but you know, look, that's not to say that I still don't have doubts and insecurities in every theater I go into, you know, even when I'm, when we're advancing these shows, they're like, all right, so where's the truck pulling up to? And I'm like, uh, we got like a Subaru pulling up with two suitcases. Like we don't need, you know, uh, so I, I definitely feel the expectations of, you know, cause we're like the theaters I'm playing are still, you know, really nice sized theaters. It's, you know, thousand or 2000 seats. And, um, and so I certainly always am, am, Look, I, I'm, I'm the first one to second guess everything that I'm doing and, and, and you know, whether it's the size of my show or if I'm doing a corporate event in my material, you know, there's not a single show I don't look at my running order and be like, oh, they're not going to buy this. Oh, they're not going to buy this. Like, oh, this is bad. Oh, I really should have fixed this thing. Oh, I, wish I, <laughs> I really wish this bit were better still. Oh, this bit's still bad. Like, oh, man, my whole show sucks. Like, I'm the first one to do that on every single show I go through. And I'm just like, oh, man, like, I really hope and then at the end of every show it always works and I'm always like man I 
I got away with one tonight. <laughs> I got away with one. <laughs> Somehow I got away with it again. And I've just been getting away with it for 10 years, I feel like. <laughs> Is there any way to do a show? I've always wanted to. And I think I told you this idea a long time ago. I don't expect you to remember it. But it's something that I've never seen a magician do. Even bands, they look down, they have their set list. Comedians sometimes have a set list, but the great ones, every set is a different start. I always wanted to see a magician who had pieces that didn't require so much tech. So mm -hmm. something where it's literally like if he decided, you know, I'm going to open with this tonight mm -hmm. as opposed to this one. And then, you know, that one I normally do in the middle, I'm going to put it here third. And yeah. then this one that I normally close with, I'm not going to close with that tonight. I'm going to close with this one. Is that possible in magic? Yes, it certainly is. And I used to do that when I was touring colleges back in the, uh, right before I met you, actually. I had, um, I mean, the reason it gets more complicated with magic when you're doing theaters and stuff is that the people backstage have to know what's going on. And then also, you know, if you're using music with it, you know, you want the music to kind of line up with stuff and, and, and be the right mood for, for things. And it's hard to change the playlist on the fly. But that being said, you know, when I was doing colleges, I would do that. I had a bunch of, I, I had 15 things in my briefcase that I knew I was going to do at some point. And I had 15 songs that were all high energy that would work great for either bringing someone on stage or sending someone off stage. And I would kind of just go. And, and, and that was, you know, kind of where I hone in the running, hone in my, my running order that I still do actually is by figuring out like, Hey, th like these two things go really well together. Energy wise, these two things go really well. Energy wise, this thing is a real good pick me up for in the middle of the show when things start feeling whatever, you know? So yeah, it is, it is certainly possible. Tell our audience your biggest failure in front of a crowd. What happened? How did it happen? And how did you recover? I thankfully have not had anything too, too tragic happen um, as far as in my professional career. Now, when I was 16 years old and doing shows at middle schools and stuff, yeah, terrible things. I mean, I used to build my own props. This is now coming up on 20 years ago. Um, uh, I was probably 14 years old or whatnot, 13 years old. I used to try to build my own props out of wood and I had a table where my sister would disappear and, uh, and basically long story short, uh, I covered her with a cloth and she disappeared. I whisked this thing off and then about a second later, the table just kind of cracked and she's lying on the floor and, and I'm in front bowing and the whole audience is just kind of like, I can tell something's off. I don't know if they're laughing or if they're just confused, but I look back at my sister's like <laughs> lying on the floor behind me, <laughs> not, not disappeared at all. Um, so stuff like that would happen all the time. I mean, the, the biggest things that happen with me now are problems that are out of my control that are actually not my problem. Like, like the show I did in, in Hawaii, uh, a few days ago, um, I was, uh, doing the show and the projector just went out. I think it was the bulb, but the bulb at the projector, at the theater just went out. And I was right at the part of my show where I go into doing about half an hour of close up magic that is on the projection screen. And the projector bulb just went out and you know, I was kind of like, all right, we're going to get this thing back. And I'm thinking like, okay, like what am I doing if, if this thing's actually out? Because I've already done all my stuff that doesn't require a projector. So everything else I'm doing is, is card tricks and small stuff that you need a camera and a screen to see. In your technical writer, when it comes to the projector, mm -hmm. do you tell them I need three backup bulbs? I don't. Um, uh, and I could, but um, it's one of these things where, you know, I, I want to be presenter friendly, I guess we'll call it, where, you know, uh, um, you know, I, 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 I want them to know they can book the show. And Do you do a thing where you say, okay, we have one projector and then we have a backup projector? Once again, I mean, it's something I could do, but, you know, for them to spend five grand to rent a it projector for the day. It would cost five grand? Probably, yeah. Something like, you know, um, and, and, and this is the only time that's ever happened to me. But it's something, it's something else every time. So what did you do? So I, I have a bunch of filler stuff in my briefcase that, you know, is, is stuff back from the old cruise ship and college show days where it's a little book and, you know, like a little book that I know I can get five minutes out of, of doing a little mind reading thing or I've got a little balloon thing in the briefcase that I know I can get three minutes out of. And so I kind of look off on the side of the stage. I'm like, Hey, how long are we thinking about? And my tech guy just like, you know, 
scrambling like throwing <laughs> cables up in the air back like, like complete pandemonium and he like can't even give an answer of like like i just need to know if it is like is it are we talking 30 seconds or are we talking like eight minutes because if it's 30 seconds i'll tell a little you know if, if it's 30 seconds to a minute i'll tell a couple jokes or a, a funny story about you know i have these kind of jokes and, and and stories that i that i've told in the past that i know fill a minute or two if you know if it's if it's the wire came unplugged you just have to plug the wire back in and hit reset then great i'll tell a story for a minute if it's eight minutes you know i need to go get someone from the audience and, and do a, a full bit you know and so he's just like you know i, I can't even get an answer from him so i'm like oh i'm just gonna go do an eight minute bit so how I, many people in the crowd 1500 1500 yeah okay and, and, so and, 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 and as soon as something goes wrong there's a, there, there's a giant stink over the whole theater because because everyone knows that something's you know, like you know i'm in the middle of a trick and the whole screen just goes blank right so then the music kind of fades out and you're like all right well hold on a minute uh is that gonna get working guys guys is it gonna work so they don't blame you they blame the theater they blame the theater but still it's one of these things where you know, there's, there's a stink in the room. Right. And, 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 and even if they're feeling pity for you, you know, pity is not an emotion you want the audience to feel for you, for you in the <laughs> middle of a show. So even though they're not like, yeah, screw this guy. Like, you know, it's his fault. Like you're, you know, you're still in charge of the room. You know, How'd you get rid of the stink? Well, so I, it, it's, it's by having a good backup bit. You know, I got a guy on stage and, and started doing this new bit, a really old bit, started doing it and, and, you know, big laughs start coming and, 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 and they start laughing they start having fun. And after, and like for the first 60 seconds, you kind of like assume like everyone's still like all they can think about, even though you're doing a new trick, all they can think about is the projector, <laughs> you know, like that's all anyone's thing in the room is thinking about is like, I wonder if the projector's going to get working again, you know, and I like, and the screen's like kind of flashing blue and like, you know, like <laughs> you see like the warm up screen, like just all kinds of, there's, there's guys on stage like yanking wires with flashlights, all that's happening and you're like downstage doing a little bit in front of it all so it's all anyone can think about <laughs> is, is what's going wrong but you just kind of keep going and I do the bit and it's like five minutes long and I finish that and I look off on stage and I'm like how are we looking and like still just like I see people running around with flashlights in their mouth backstage and I'm like all right let's do another bit here so I do another five minute bit and I end up doing about probably 10 or 15 minutes of stuff um, and it was still not going. And at this point it was near the end of the first half. So I was like, Oh, it's intermission time anyway. So even if the projector came on right now, like I can't do an hour and 15 minutes for the first half. So let's go to intermission. So I we went to intermission and I came off and I was like, and at that point I'd really done all my backup bits. I'd done 15 minutes of backup material. I'd done all my stuff in the first half that did not require a projector. And I really would have been in trouble for the second half if it didn't come back up. And so, you know, but they got it working uh, somehow. I don't know even know what the problem was. But, you know, look, if it's not that, th th that's one example of something that happened two days ago. Uh, you know, <laughs> every show it's something different. You know, the sound system will, you know. Um, but part of the thing of being like a really lean show is that, you know, like you don't have 13 crew guys anymore all checking things all knowing you know you're using a local guy you know like i i have a button in my pocket that i push the buttons on to start the music track for each for each act you know i i like being in control of things myself but at the same time what that leads to is that no one else knows what's going on except for you and that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with Aquatru, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And that wraps up part one of two episodes. You can check out the next episode 
this coming Thursday. And here's a preview of the next episode. The thing that you did when I worked with you was that you, you changed the way I think about things. You change, you shaped the way that I think about entertainment and you know, like it was your stories about, you know, the guys on SNL where, you know, like, look, there's lots of guys in SNL, only a couple become movie stars. You know, why, why is Will Ferrell a movie star and someone else isn't, you know, um, it was hearing these stories of, of, you know, how people get to get to the next level and how people turn no's into yeses and I'm, I'm stealing all your lines. Uh, but it was all those things that, that, you know, really did have a huge impact on me and they really do inspire you to when you're sitting around on the Sunday afternoon and you're like, you know what, I'm going to edit this thing right now. I'm going to make a, I'm going to, I'm going to do this right now. And, um, finding that encouragement, whether it be through a manager or a podcast or a family or friends or whatever it is, just stay hungry, stay tenacious and stay foolish. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money Drive that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quite over Till it all feels you pick your own poison, dig your own grave down in the valley. A fortune. Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.